This morning we are going to be in Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25 this morning. We're continuing our series on mission and today we're looking or we're asking the question, does Jesus want his whole church to move beyond the pew? Does Jesus want his whole church to move beyond the pew? Matthew chapter 25 is where we're going to be at. We're going to begin in verse 14. So we're looking at the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents. This is quite lengthy section, so I'm not going to read it all before we begin, but we will read it as we work through today's message. So if you'll bow with me in prayer, then we'll dive into the message after that. God, we come to you this morning thankful for this opportunity to gather together as a church to open your word and to learn from it. And God, we ask that we would do just that today, that we would not only learn more about the parable of the talents, but we would also learn how this parable applies to our life individually and corporately as the church. And God, help us to apply this message as we leave here today. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before attending seminary in Fort Worth at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, I, I lived in Dallas, and I was a member of First Baptist Dallas, and while I was there, the church ran a campaign similar to the campaign that has been run here beyond the pew, except for they entitled their campaign, Get in the Game. And as the name suggests, the purpose of the campaign was to call people off of the sidelines and into the game, or, or really in, into service there at the church, and they ran this campaign because, believe it or not, a church even the size of First Baptist Dallas's thousands and thousands of members had difficulty getting people to fill the volunteer spots that they have and to serve on a regular basis in the church. And so they ran this campaign to call people off of the sidelines and into the game. Now, the problem that they have was not uncommon. The problem that they have is not unique just to them. You know, I've consistently come across these statistics. I don't know exactly who, who initially did the research, but the consistent statistics that I see over and over again, and probably the ones that you have heard, is that 20% of people in churches do 80% of the work. 20% of people do 80% of the work. Now, that's a problem because it means that only 20% of a church's members are serving on a regular basis. But is that where the problem starts, with churches just having trouble finding volunteers to fill these positions, or does this topic reach into our life? Does it impact us personally, spiritually, eternally? Well, Jesus is going to answer those questions for us this morning in the parable of the talents. And the parable of the talents, it's in Matthew 25. It comes right in the middle of a chapter where Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's telling his disciples what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. And a lot of times when people think about the kingdom of heaven, they think about this ethereal place. You know, somewhere far off, this place where, where God lives, where, where we cannot go. Or either they think about the kingdom that John presents in the book of Revelation. The, the future kingdom where Jesus, when Jesus returns. And certainly it's not wrong to think about either of those. I mean, God's kingdom is in heaven. Jesus will return with his kingdom one day. He will set up his reign and his rule on this earth one day, but we also need to believe a third thing about the kingdom of heaven. We need to believe uh, that the kingdom of heaven represents current reality 
and current expectations. We have to believe that Jesus is reigning and ruling even now, not just over heaven, and not just over the future when he returns, but Jesus is reigning and ruling over this world right now. You see, our God is a sovereign God, and he is sitting on his throne right now, determining and ruling over everything that happens in this world. And it's important for us to understand that Jesus is reigning and ruling even now because it means that Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of heaven, it has ramifications for us even today. And it doesn't, we don't just have to wait for Jesus' future return in order to work within the kingdom. Jesus is not just telling us, you know, how you're going to live when you go to heaven one day. Jesus isn't just telling us how you are going to live in his future kingdom. Jesus is telling us how he wants you to live right now, today. And so how should Jesus' disciples live? Well, look at verse 14 with me. It says, for it, talking about the kingdom of heaven, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. And we'll stop there for now. So Jesus begins by comparing the kingdom of heaven to a man who entrusts his servants with his property before going on this long journey. And the property that he gives them is a large sum of money. So look at verse 15 with me. To one... He gave five talents to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. Now, we don't use talents today, you know, we, we, but you have to know that the talent is no so small sum of money. A talent, and commentators are a little bit divided on this, but a talent generally represents about a million dollars. And so in this parable, we see that, that this man is giving his servants five million dollars, two million dollars, and one million dollars. And so imagine working for a corporation. You know, the owner, he, he knows you well, and he's planning to go on a sabbatical. And he, and he calls you into his office, and, and he's talking to you about this sabbatical that he's going to be going on and telling you how awesome it's going to be, all the things that he has planned out. And you're thinking, great, well, i got to stay here, and i got to work. And this guy's going to go on this awesome sabbatical. And, and as he's telling you about this awesome trip that he's about to go on, he, he, he turns around and he goes to the safe that he has in his office. He opens it up and he pulls out a briefcase. And of course, this is a briefcase that has a handcuff on it because why wouldn't it, right? It's got $5 million in this briefcase. He comes over and, and he attaches that handcuff to your hand. Of course, he gives you the keys. So you don't have to walk around for a year with this on you. But, but he gives you the key and he says, hey, I'll see you. I'll see you in a year. And he walks out, he catches his plane, and he goes on his sabbatical. I mean, imagine that. Imagine that happening to you. Well, it's not exactly the same as what's happening here, right? There's no jet. There's no briefcase with a handcuff on or anything like that. The guy's not taking a sabbatical for a year from his job, but he is going on a long journey. So this is kind of what's happening here. Several of the servants, they're giving an extremely large sum of money, and they're not told what to do with it at all. They just are given it for a long period of time. And the guy leaves. Now, if you notice, they are given these different amounts of money. One receives five talents, one receives two talents, one receives one talent. And, and we have to ask, well, why are they given different sums of money? 
Well, we're told at the end of verse 15 that they're each giving these sums of money according to their ability. And so it wasn't random. It's not like he just randomly said, you know, you're, you're going to have five and you're going to have two and you're going to have one. None of this is random. He, he chooses according to his servant's ability. He's been watching them. He knows exactly what they're capable of. And he gives the one he feels like is most capable, five talents, and the one he thinks is least capable, one talent. He still thinks he's pretty, pretty capable because he's giving him essentially a million dollars to do something with. But there, there's a scale there. Now, likewise, we are each given gifts according to our ability. We're each given gifts according to our ability. Now, now reading this, especially in our day and age, you're thinking, Jesus is not fair. I, I mean, we're all about equality. We're all about everybody being equal this day and age. And, and so we, we might be asking, well, Jesus, why, why are you being unfair here? But we shouldn't accuse Jesus of inequality. I mean, Jesus is, is God, after all. God has the right to distribute the gifts in the way that he has determined. He has determined to distribute those gifts according to our individual abilities. And not only does God distribute these gifts according to our individual abilities, but get this, God actually gives us those individual abilities, and then he gives us the opportunity to use our gifts and to exercise our abilities. You see, our God is a sovereign God, and God is using us as his instruments to do ministry for him for his glory. Not for our glory, but for God's glory. Now, knowing that, that Jesus both gives us our abilities and gives us our gifts according to our abilities, this should kill frustration as well as this should kill envy and pride. And so let's think about this for a minute. I know that there are probably things that, that you all work hard at, at being good at. You know, maybe it's a sport, maybe it's school, maybe it's, it's a job skill, and you're, you're trying to get better at this and you're working hard uh, whatever it is, I'm sure that there's something that, that you are working hard to be good at. For me, it's writing and it's public speaking. I love to write. I love uh, public speaking. But, but at times, it's a struggle for me, partly because I didn't really do what I needed to do when I was in school. And so if you're in school, you should definitely do what your teacher says, especially English, <laughs> right? Like, I did not do well in that. I ended up in a remedial English class for a little while. Um, and so don't, don't go that route. You know, you can have fun with your friends after class uh, it was, caused a lot of struggle for me. But not only because it, you know, I, I didn't do what I was supposed to do in school, but, but it's just a struggle for me. You know, the, the words, they just don't flow as naturally as I would like them to flow at times. Now, over the years, through personal study, uh, through a lot of hard work that I should have been doing when I was in school, uh, through seminary and, and things like that, I've grown in my command of language, but it's still not where I, I would want it to be. And if I'm honest, at, at times, that, that drives frustration and that drives envy. Frustration because, you know, the words just don't flow as natural as I would want them to. Envy because I see other people and they don't seem like they're working as hard as I do in order to do the things that I am doing. So I'm envious of them. And while frustration and envy creep in from time to time, it helps knowing that the gifts that I have been given are given to me by God. God has, has gifted me in certain ways, and not only has he gifted me in certain ways, but he has given me the ability that I have, and he's given me the opportunities that I've had in order to exercise those gifts, in order to exercise those abilities. Now, knowing that, when I really think about that, when I really meditate on that, that helps to kill frustration with me. It helps to kill envy. I mean, I am who I am. I've been given the opportunities that I've been given because God has elected for me to have those opportunities. 
as well as knowing that God gives us our gifts and abilities, uh, as well as the opportunities to exercise, they should kill pride. You see, we're good at the things that we are good at, not because we're awesome, but because God is awesome. And because God has gifted us in those ways. And God is allowing us to use those gifts by giving us the opportunities to do that. So instead of boasting in ourselves, instead of saying, man, look at me, look how awesome I am, look how great I am. Instead of boasting in our own accomplishments, we should boast in the Lord. We should praise God. We should, we should always be giving God glory. And so we see then that that knowing that God gives us these gifts according to our ability, notice knowing that God gives us these opportunities to kill both frustration and envy as well as pride. And it should also drive something else in us. And so let's find out what that is. Look at verses 16 through 18 with me. He who had received five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. And so also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, two of the three men, they did the same thing. They went, they invested their money, and they invested their money in a commercial activity, and they essentially doubled their money. Uh, The one who received five talents, he made five talents more. The received two talents, two talents more. I mean, these guys are pretty good investors. You know, if I'm, if I got $5 million just laying around, $2 million laying around, I'm certainly going to seek out these folks. You're probably going to seek them out as well when you, once you learn that, you know, sitting in some Ponzi scheme that they have going on, you're going to say, wow, these guys are amazing. And they're, everybody in the church is going to be knocking on their door to invest with them. And so they're, they're great investors. They're great at what they do. But what about the last guy? You know, what, what did this guy do? Well, he, he didn't go and invest his money at all. Instead, he dug a hole and he put his money in there for safekeeping. Now, now you have to know, and you might think, well, that's not really that smart, but, but you have to know that, that banks were not the same as they were, uh, or not the same as they were back then as they are today. So back then, holes, they, they were much safer than banks. Banks weren't federally, you know, insured. Uh, they weren't regulated. Uh, if you gave your money to a crooked banker, you, you may never see that money again. Uh, if someone came and robbed them, which was definitely a uh, reality back then. I mean, they didn't have big, huge steel safes that, that you know, you, you had to break into in order to, to get the money out of. Uh, they didn't have guys standing in front of the bank with the AK-47s or anything like that. I mean, it was, it was a reality that, that somebody could actually steal this money from these folks. Just like, I mean, people can do it today. It just makes it a bit bit more difficult and so the chances of someone finding this exact spot where you went and you dug your money and hid it out there uh, in the countryside was was slim and so he said you know I'm going to do the same thing I'm going and I'm going to put my money in a hole and when my master returns I'm just going to going to give it back to him it's going to be there for safe keeping and so eventually the master he he returns and, and he's ready to settle up he's like I've been gone for a year I've given out you know all of this money I'm ready to get some money back hopefully I'm going to make some money on that. And so each of the servants, they come to him. And since the first two servants, since they both did the same exact thing, we're going to look at them as a group. So 20 to, to 23 with me here. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. 
And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now the first two servants, the ones who had doubled their money, they, they received praise from their master for their hard works, for their, diligent, for their, for their diligence, for their character. But, but praise isn't all they receive. You notice that they are giving more responsibility. It's not like you say, well, man, you, you went and worked hard for me. You, you've made, you've doubled my money. Why don't you just go and sit on the sidelines for a while? No, he, he gives them more responsibility. They, they are set over much more than they were set over in the past. And the idea that, that they're both set over much is important because it means that our reward for serving God isn't release from service, but it's greater responsibility. There should never come a time in our life when we think that we have done enough for God and it's our turn to sit in the pews. We're always to go beyond the pews. Amen. And to be sure now, the, the way that we go beyond the pews, it's going to change over time. You know, when, when, you, when you're younger, you're going to be able to serve in a much different capacity than, than when you're older. And so it's going to change over time, and that's okay. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't serve at all. We don't retire from working for the kingdom, but the way that we work for the kingdom may change over time. In every stage of life, what we need to be asking ourselves are two questions. How can I use the gifts that God has given me? And what opportunities is God putting in front of me? How can I use the gifts that God has given me? And what opportunities is God putting in front of me to utilize the gifts that he has given me? If we ask those two questions, then it doesn't matter what life stage we are in, we are going to be able to serve and we're going to be able to serve in the way that God wants for us to serve, the way that God has gifted for us to serve. We're going to take those opportunities and we're going to use those gifts, not for our glory, but we're going to use those gifts for God's glory. Now I know what you might be thinking. You know, I, I've retired from my job. Uh, why can't I retire from working for the kingdom? Why, why is this such a big deal? Well, Walmart is a busy place. And especially the Walmart in Decatur where, where I, I'm still living. I'm moving here soon, but where I'm still living. The Walmart, Walmart is super busy. I mean, it, it, is a, it is a county Walmart, so everybody from the county comes there. And when you go shopping... Uh, there's always these carts out in the aisle uh, because they're constantly stocking the shelves. And it, and it happens to be the bread aisle where they always have these carts where they're stocking the shelf. You know, and it's got bread and coffee. I mean, just the essentials. Everything that you need is on this aisle. And I guess everybody goes down this aisle and gets stuff every time. So they always have these carts. So everybody's just bumping into one another as they're going down this. And I'm sure Walmart or whatever grocery store it is that, that you guys go to here is probably pretty similar. This is a growing area as well. I'm sure that a lot of people come and there are probably just people there all of the time. Now, chances are you're not going to walk into Walmart this next week and see me in there stocking the shelves, right? As helpful as I think it will be, so that, that I could get in there and I could get my stuff. You guys could get in there and you could get your stuff and get out. As helpful as I think it would be, I'm not going to be in Walmart stocking the shelves. You guys, if you, you're probably not going to be in there doing that either. You're not going to work for Walmart out of the goodness of your heart. You see, we work for that which we are a part of. And, you know, I'm pastor of Eastridge. I'm not someone who is working at Walmart. And you guys may not be either, so you're not going to be in there stocking the shelves for me. We work for that which we are a part of. 
And that's important for us to understand because as believers, we are a part of the kingdom. And as believers, we should desire for the kingdom to grow. We should desire for Jesus' name to be made famous. We should desire for people to come into that kingdom. And since we are a part of the kingdom, then we are to work for the kingdom. And we should work for the kingdom until the king calls us home. And those who work for the kingdom, they're, they're rewarded. They're given more responsibility as well as they're invited to enter into their master's joy. And in other words, they experience the same joy that Jesus experiences when the kingdom is advancing. And, and, and you know, isn't it exciting when people are coming to Christ? I mean, isn't it exciting when the church is growing? Isn't it exciting when you see people's lives changing? These are exciting things for us to see. These are things that should produce joy in us. And not only will we experience joy now as we see the kingdom advancing, but we will also experience joy in the future as we are able to enter into the kingdom for which we have been working, eternal life. And so we don't retire from working for the kingdom. We don't hold back. We work. We use the gifts that Jesus has given us. And as we use those gifts, they produce joy in us both now and they produce joy in us in the future. And so we see that Jesus expects those who are a part of his kingdom to use the gifts he has given to further the kingdom. That's what Jesus expects of us. But then we got to ask the question, well, well, what about those who don't? What about those who say, you know, Jesus, I recognize that you've gifted me, but I'm just tired. I, I, I don't want to serve you. I don't, I don't want to do this. I want to sit in the pew. What happens to those who don't use their God-given gifts to further the kingdom? Look at verses 24 and 25 for me, with me. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. And so the man who has given one talent, he has the same opportunity as the last guy's. He just has one talent, which is still like a million dollars, a lot of money. He still has the same opportunity as the other two, but he doesn't do anything with it. He doesn't seize the opportunity at all. Instead, he goes and he hides this money in the ground and he allows this money to lie dormant. He doesn't invest it whatsoever. And when the master comes back, he, he's able to give him back his talent but he's not able to give him any more because he hasn't invested the gift that he has been given. And he says he didn't invest it because he thought that his master was a tyrant. He thought his master was this capitalist who didn't care about anything but himself. And so he, he says, you know, I, I'm afraid that I'm going to be punished. And so I'm going to do the same thing. I'm not going to risk it in the marketplace. I'm going to go, I'm going to put in a hole so I can just give it right back to this guy when he comes and I'm not going to experience any sort of punishment. But look at how his master responds, 26 and 27. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. And so instead of praising him, his master tries him. He says, look, if you knew this about me, if you, if you thought this about me, that, that I would gather where I shouldn't be, if I, if I gather where I have not sown, if this is what you really believe about me, then why didn't you at least go and take this money and give it to the bankers? I mean, I would have got at least minimal interest 
It would have been much better than just hiding it in a hole where I actually get no return at all on my money. Why would you not at least do that if you knew this about me? And he says, I know why you didn't do it. It's because you were lazy. It's because you were wicked. Essentially, he's calling him a liar. He's saying, you know, it's just not my fault. It's not my fault that you didn't do anything with this talent. It's your fault. He didn't use what his master gave him. He didn't use it because he was lazy, because he was wicked. He didn't want to put forth any effort. And he didn't care about anything but himself or anybody but himself. All he cared about was his own comfort. And he cared about doing his own thing. And so he says, I'm going to go hide it in a hole. And his master is calling him out. He didn't realize what he had been given. He didn't realize that he had the opportunity to joyfully serve his king. And what's the result? Well, 28 and 30, 28 through 30. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, into that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so his talent is taken from him and he's cast essentially into hell. Now, if you think about it, this seems a bit harsh for someone who's just been given a talent by this master and this guy goes and he goes off on, on this journey. I mean, if my investor didn't make me any money, if he just kind of sat it aside somewhere in a hole, you know, I might, be, I might be pretty upset with this guy. You'd probably be pretty upset with your guy as well, especially if you're counting on that for your retirement. But, but you're not going to cast this guy out into hell for doing that, right? You might try to sue him or something like that. Um, or you know, that's, that's a different sermon for another day. I'm not going to go there. Uh, but you might be mad at this guy. Let's leave it at that. You might be mad at this guy. So obviously we have to look at this and we have to say, the punishment does not fit the crime. The punishment doesn't fit the crime. So we have to ask why. Why the disproportionate punishment? Well, it's because Jesus wants us to see that those who don't use their God-given gifts to further the kingdom aren't disciples and will face God's wrath. Remember, we work for that which we are a part. If we don't work for Jesus' kingdom, then we're not a part of Jesus' kingdom. Instead, we're a part of Satan's kingdom. You can't be neutral. I mean, you can't, you can't ride the fence. You're either in one kingdom or you're in the other kingdom. And you work for the kingdom for which you were a part of. And those who are part of Jesus' kingdom, well, they work for the kingdom. Those who are part of Jesus' kingdom, they go beyond the pew. They use their God-given gifts to further the kingdom, not their own kingdom. Now notice I said that they use their God-given gifts to further God's kingdom and not their own kingdom. And I think that's an important distinction for us to make and and for us to recognize here. Because oftentimes, we, we use these gifts that God has given us, and we use them in the church underneath the guise of expanding God's kingdom. But what we're really doing is we're doing it to expand our own kingdom. We're coming to church, we're serving for our own glory so that people will puff us up, so that people will look at us and they'll say, man, look how great they are. Look at all the service that they do here in this church. Now, I'm not saying that that we shouldn't recognize people. We certainly should recognize people who are serving. Right? We, we should be thankful for the people who are serving us and thankful for the things that the people are doing in the church. So I'm not saying that. But what I'm doing is I'm, I'm looking and saying, well, what is your heart? Just because you are serving doesn't mean you are serving out of the right heart. You could be serving to advance God's kingdom. 
You could be serving to advance your kingdom. Something for you to determine as you look at your own heart and you ask yourself, why am I using my God-given gifts? Why am I going beyond the pew? And the answer should be so that I can make Jesus' name famous instead of my own name. And so we need to serve. We need to use the gifts and the abilities that Jesus has given us, but we have to do it with the right heart. And so when you look at your life, where are you at? Are you sitting in the pew? Or have you moved beyond the pew? And why are you serving? Are you serving to make your kingdom great? Or are you serving to make Jesus' name great? Why are you doing that today? Where are you at today, excuse me? Well, some of you may be saying, you know, Pastor, I'm sitting in the pew, but I want to get out of the pew. I want to do something different. I hear what you're saying. I know that I need to be serving for the king. For the king. I know that he's gifted me. I want to experience the joy that you're talking about both now as I see God's kingdom growing and in the future as I'm invited into that kingdom by the king. But how? How can I do that? What can you do to move beyond the pew? What can you do to move beyond the pew? Well, for the sake of time, I'm going to give you three things that you can do to move beyond the pew. First, you must have a relationship with Jesus before you're going to move beyond the pew. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're not going to move beyond the pew. If you're sitting there today and you're like, I don't know if Jesus is my Savior. I don't know if I'm a believer. I'm just here today checking things out. I just want to learn a little bit more about Jesus. Know that that you're not going to move beyond the pew and begin serving because you're not a believer. You're not a part of the kingdom, but you can be a part of the kingdom. Jesus, he's come. The king has come. He's come off of his throne, and he's come down to this earth, lives as a man, lived as a man, Experienced the sin that we experience each and every single day. Our sin was was placed on him as he was hung on the cross. And he did that for us. So that we might have a repaired relationship with the Father. So that we might be able to come into the kingdom. And all of those who are willing to repent of their sins, to to return return from their rebellion against God and turn to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to recognize that he is wise, that he is great, that I should live in the way that he has called me to live. And all of those who would say, I can't save myself. It's Jesus who has saved me through his one-time sacrifice on the cross. All of those who would believe that, they can be a part of the kingdom. And you have to believe that. You have to be a believer in Jesus before you're going to serve in the kingdom. And so that's the first thing that we need to know today. The second thing, you've got to trust him enough to use your gifts to further the kingdom. You see, working for the kingdom involves risk. There's reward, but it involves risk. It involves cost emotionally physically, socially, monetarily. And these costs might be what's keeping you in the pew. You might say, you know what? I don't want my, my, my work to know what I do. I, I don't want you know, the people in my social network to know what I do. This is going to cost me. I don't want my kids to know what I do. I don't want them to know that I'm a believer. If they see me serving in the community, if they see me serving in the church, then they're going to know. And it might cost me. We've got to trust 
that God is the all-sovereign God of this universe, that God has a plan for each and every single one of us, and if that includes persecution, that includes persecution, but God has a plan, and we've got to trust that he is going to work that plan out in our life enough so that we will begin to serve. And lastly, along with having a relationship with Jesus and trusting God, you must care about others and love others enough to use your gift. When we don't use our gift in the church, essentially what we're saying is, look, I care about myself, but I don't care about you. I want you to serve me, but I don't, I don't want to serve you. And so we have to love others enough in order to use our gifts. And if we're struggling with that, we don't have to just dig down deep inside and say, I'm going to love you more. No, we look to Jesus. And Jesus loved us infinitely, loves us infinitely. So much so and he left heaven. So much so that he left his throne to come down to earth so that we might be able to enter into his kingdom. You see, Jesus sacrificed for us. Jesus loves us so much that he did that for us. Now, people who are good, people who are his enemies, people who are sinners, people who deserve nothing but hell, people who are rebelling against him and saying, you know what, Jesus, I want your throne. I don't want you to have it. Jesus loved us so much that he was willing to give up himself so that we might be able to enter into the kingdom. So if we're struggling with serving others, then we need to look to Jesus. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to meditate on the gospel. We need to meditate on what Jesus has done for us. And that then should be our motivation to go beyond the pew, to serve and, and to love one another. And so if we want to move beyond the pew, we've got to first have a relationship with Jesus. We've got to trust God enough to be able to use our gifts. And then we need to care about others and love others more than ourselves. If we do these things, then we will move beyond the pew. Then we will be a church that doesn't have that problem where we got to run some campaign so that we're calling other people into the game. Well, we're not going to have a problem where only 20% of people are doing 80% of the work. 80% of people, 100% of people are going to be doing 100% of the work. And so what are you going to do today? Are you going to sit in the pew? Or are you going to move beyond the pew? Are you going to use the gifts that Jesus has given you and the opportunities that he provides? What are you going to do today? If you're deciding today, hey, I want to move beyond the pew. I just need to know where, what I can do. We've got a new website if you haven't seen it yet. And on this website, there's a serve tab. You can click on that tab and you can see all of the different volunteer opportunities that you can participate in this church. And if you still have trouble after doing that, Come and see one of us. Come and see one of the deacons. Come and see one of the ministry directors. We'll be happy to help you get out of the pew and into the game so that you're serving to make Jesus' name famous both in our church and in Red Oak. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we come to you today thankful for this opportunity to open your word. And God, we've heard that, that you want us to serve. You want us to go beyond the pew. And so help us to do that, Lord. Help us to do that at each stage of life that we might be in. Help us to know the opportunities that we have, to know the gifts that we have, and to take the opportunities that you give us so that we are moving beyond the pew. 
And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.